Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 66 of the North Meet South Web Podcast. Hey everyone, how's it going? Hopefully it's been a wonderful week for you. It is a chilly Saturday evening here in central Illinois. It's 32, so just at freezing, which would be zero Celsius. Yeah, just too cold. Just too cold. Too cold. Too cold. See, this is the one time I can actually do a conversion in my head when it's uh, Celsius. Yep. 32. 32 to zero. Nice. Good. Okay. Well, not nice. Yep. yep. Not really. Yeah, it's true. I don't I know. We I think we've had this discussion before. Yeah. We've we've still got the the fits and starts for spring. It's um it's cold. It was, you know, 33 Celsius one day, and then it was 18 the next, and then it was 22 the next, and it's been up and down like a yo-yo. But the one constant yeah. through all of this is that the hay fever is kicking my butt. So Oh, that's always fun. Yeah, I've had the nasal spray, which is working pretty well, is now not working so well. So oh, I have huh. to go back to the the harder stuff. <laughs> that was the stuff you only needed to do once a day. It was like mm. you said, it was like magic. It was like it was. You do it once and you're good to go. It was until my body was used to it and then uh, decided that it was just going to disrespect it. Is it like a line? You like, you like, yeah, I got to, yeah, it starts as a, as like a tablet and you've got to break it up with a little. <laughs> Little hammer and then put it in a line and it just. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think they have a special name for that in America. I don't think it's allowed over here anymore. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's called illegal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Psh, Americans, stinking conservatives, blocking all the good drugs. Uh, can't have any of the good stuff. Okay. Anyway, I don't. Anyway. Guess. Hey, you- so we haven't actually really discussed what we wanted to talk about on this show today, but I thought actually what would be a good one to talk about today was some of the ideas that were brought up on Twitter when we were asked that question about doing pull request reviews for mm-hmm. juniors or what there was this I can't remember exactly the way he phrased the question. We should pull it up. We should. It was Hefe, wasn't it? Hefe. Hefe, yeah. That's how I you know that's how I decided to pronounce his name. I wasn't positive if that was actually what it was, but that's what I went with and I think that was right. So yeah. Uh, if you get the question up before I do, go ahead. That's fine. No problem. Yeah. But I thought that would be a good, interesting thing to kind of discuss. Yeah. If you want to read that yeah. for us, we can kind of jump into that. Yeah. So the question from Hefe, where is Hefe on Twitter? And this was addressed also to Matt Stauffer. Hey, Matt Stauffer, Michael Drina, Jackie Bennett. I have heard, I have heard you, I have you heard, I have heard you talking about managing devs one time or another and was curious what you found worked best on PRs for junior and intermediate devs. I feel I'm skating a fine line between nitpicky and useful feedback. Cheers. Yeah, this is tough. This is a really tough one. And I think it's something that you sort of develop and learn over time. I don't think there's any real silver bullets, but I think each of us kind of had a couple different ideas around things that we've learned for that. So Matt was the first one. And then since I'm also in normal world time, I was the second one. And then once you woke up eventually, you know, mm. lazy over there in the down under, yeah, um, you, you were able to respond as well. So Matt's response was basically, he said, 
I think he said that's a that's a good line to be skating like between nitpicky and whatever the other one was. But basically, Matt said and suggested this package that they've created for Titan called T-Lint, I think is what they call it, mm-hmm. which is really cool. I've never seen this before. I don't know how I've missed this, like how this has been out there for so long. And it's, I'm just seeing it for the first time. I don't think they ever really published it. Okay. But they didn't yeah, announce so it's it. Pretty it's much... just something that they use internally yeah. at Titan. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because it's more than just syntax. It's more than just how you use use uh, use or namespaces or something. This is an opinionated code linter and growing support for automating auto automating for auto formatting or Titan flavored code conventions for Laravel and PHP. So with yeah. an example here that Laravel has many available ways to pass variables from a controller to a view. There's option one where you pass a compacted variable into the view helper. Option two is where you pass an array as the second parameter to the view helper. And option three, where you can use the fluent syntax, where you can you can pass the the with method onto the end of the view helper. So in the case, in this case, TLint will warn you if you are not using the B method, which is the one where you pass the, an array of key value pairs as the second option to the view method. This example is a sort of meta layer of code linting, allowing teams to avoid higher level sticking points of code review and discussions. It's also immediately useful for lints that can supplement your editor IDE, such as no unused imports, trailing commas on arrays, and many, many more. So it basically takes something like PHP CS Fixer and adds configuration on top of it that is specific to the way that they expect code to look and read at yeah. Titan. Yep. So it's got Laravel specific conventions as well, right? So it will say, hey, when you're doing these specific things inside the context of a Laravel application, you should handle them this way, (laughs) which is what I think is really helpful because, yeah, it's just like some of those things, different people decide to do those different ways. As was discussed, there's three different ways to pass values from the controller down to the views. And Laravel doesn't necessarily recommend any one of the three ways. They say, here are the three ways. You can do it however you like it. And, you know, then Titan has basically decided, nope, this is how we're going to do it. And that's completely fine and appropriate. But it may be that your your particular shop or team has decided to do it their way, whatever. So I feel like tools like this are, are really, really helpful. And um, Matt's point, he said, was you need to get these things into place as quickly as possible so that... When a pull request comes in, these things are automatically happening. So there's no need to be the bad guy and come in and stomp all over the pull request because of all these formatting issues. Instead, yeah. it's it's self-cure. The developer themselves can run this linter and then can fix all of those problems before they even submit the PR. So that's not an issue. You're no longer looking at syntax. You're able to zoom out a little bit further and look at the problems that they're trying to solve and the patterns that they're using to accomplish solving those problems rather than the the nitpicky things, right? So in in our case, uh, we use something called... So number one, I agree with this. I think this is really, really wise. And Matt's been doing this for a lot longer than either of us has. So you know, kudos to Matt. Great thought here. Lots of wisdom in this. Uh, we use Style CI to accomplish a lot of this, and Style CI actually does have a Laravel preset, so it will kind of follow Laravel conventions. And uh, so, for a while there, it was doing use statements uh, mm-hmm. in line length order, so it would do from shortest to longest. And recently that changed and they said, nope, we're going to do alphabetical order. And so now every pull request we've had come in over the last three weeks for code bases that haven't had the new style CI 
applied to it. Yeah. Like you come in, it's like 300 files changed yeah. because yep. it's changed all of the namespace orders. Yeah. Uh, or not the namespace, or all the use statement orders to be alphabetical rather than line length. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been kind of funny. But Style CI has saved us so much time over the years because it does exactly this. It, it you know, says, here is the style that we're going to use. Uh, little things like if you're concatenating strings together, don't put a space between the like single quote, the period, and then the and then the variable. Just smush, yeah. smush them all together. If you have an array and you're listing out items and you're putting commas at the end, it will put a comma at the end of every item that's going into the array, so that when you have a new line that needs to come in, all it does is it affects one line instead of having to add a comma to the end of one and then add the new uh, the new variable underneath. Things like there should be a new line before a return statement, all all sorts of little different things like that. I think even things as simple as like in doc blocks, if you happen to have those, they should end with a period or something, you know? Yeah. Just just little things like that that Graham Campbell, I remember back in the day, who is one of the authors of Style CI, uh, used to always kind of do with Laravel PRs. He was very strict on like, these are the little things that are conventions that we do in Laravel that are necessary for you to get your pull request approved. So I thought maybe we could start with saying, yes, establish conventions is one of the first things we would say as managers of developers that would be very important to do. Maybe talk about some of the things that we do in our own code bases that we've established. Maybe some good resources for finding you're finding conventions that, that you can uh, kind of decide on or adhere to. And then we can move on from that because I've got basically yeah. two other items that I that I was thinking through that are helpful when yeah. when doing pull request reviews with people. Sure. So so what are some of the conventions that you have on your teams that, that you guys use? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm pretty much with you and, and Matt. And I think this is the simplest thing to tackle. And it's something that makes everything else so much easier because when you have an automated tool go through and blot the code, then the person writing the code, the junior, the intermediate, the new member of your team doesn't go, why did you change this? You're just nitpicking. It's the bot that comes through and does it all. And so that person instantly can recognize, oh, it's a bot. This is how we write code. And so, you know, we use Style CI for our, you know, as part of our CI process. And that means essentially that the code gets pushed and it gets changed. Now, we also have a PHP CS fixer configuration, which we ganked from Laravel Shift. So JMac published a, a config for that that basically mirrors as best as possible what Style CI does. They've got some of their own internal things that are not part of the default PHP CS that are, that are very Laravel specific. But it means that the code that we write, as long as you're doing a, a format on save kind of thing, on your code base, it's already being pushed so that you get much less noise from something like style CI. Now, typically we will push it. We'll just have PHP CS fixer. Uh, we'll just have style CI go over it and then make the changes and then merge them straight into that pull request so that we don't have to discuss it. We don't have to review it. We trust that it's doing the right thing. But having the PHP CS fixer also means that if you're pushing the code up that's already in that format, there's much less that needs to change and there's much less mm-hmm. noise in that merge request from like style CI went and changed 40 lines on top of the actual code changes. And it makes it easier assuming that your code is mostly in the style CI format. As I said, there's a few things in there that are that are specific to the service that are general just Laravel conventions that if you've been around for a while, you pick them up anyway. So automating that process makes things so much simpler because it's one thing that you don't have to worry about. You just move on with it. 
I think with a with a new person, it's uh, the other thing that I'll add to that is that having some kind of style guide for your application. So I've got one that I, that is public that we kind of just use internally anyway because it's something that I'll take with me from project to project, from business to business. If I ever you know when I move on or whatever, that it's something that's just that's the way that. I've observed that Laravel code is written and making some decisions because, you know, as you said at the start, Laravel gives you three options to do something. So it's nice to say, well, of the three options, this is the one we're going to use and this is why kind of thing. So having the automated behavior, but also having a style guide that kind of documents why some of the the decisions have been made is pretty important. And it means that you're not nitpicking the junior. It's just how we write code. Um, So I think... Yeah, I, I was gonna jump in on real, that real quick. So Spassi actually has a style guide that they publish that is open source and out there. And it's really a handy one that you can just fork and kind of make your own. So we've done that actually. So we forked their style guidelines and we have it at guidelines.wilbergroup.com internally, it's available. And then if we ever, so we look at that basically and we use that as our as our kind of guidepost. And then if we ever decide that we need to look at that and change something, we just go in there, you know, update it and then publish and, and it deploys again. And there you go, another guideline. So, because a lot of times it can be a very, very intimidating sort of like, well, gosh, where do I even start? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. what are the things I even need to put into this style guide? Like, what are the things I need to consider? And so this has ideas around how we handle Git, right? So it's even like the flow that you use for when you're doing a a Git branch, like how do you do feature branching versus like, uh, do you have a development branch? Do you have like a staging branch? Like those things aren't necessarily considered inside the Spassi's uh, guidelines thing, but there are some guidelines around Git and how you do your branching model, right? So th- that's like, okay, I need to consider how I do my branching model and that's something I should consider with my devs. Then it talks about Laravel specific sort of formatting and here, you know, exactly what you talked about. Mm-hmm. There's three options. Here's how we choose to do it. So Spassi has said, this is how we choose to do it. You can either adopt that same thing or you can look at it and say, eh, actually, I want to change that a little a little bit but it gives you again it's a really good starting point and then in addition they also have view so if you use view in your stack at all which a lot of us as laravel developers do view actually came out with their own sort of style guide or best practices i think it was last year Mm -hmm. Uh, you give a good read through that and they just talk about how you should even be doing naming and how you should be using variables and and uh, just different things that will kind of help to avoid problems that are common for beginners or that people run into when they're using the view framework. And so Spassi even has some of those in there. So again, if you're looking for a place to get started for where you can find or kind of adapt a style guide, Spassi has a great one out there. Um, make sure you send them a postcard if you use that. But we we use that as well. I was thinking that like establishing conventions is, and I didn't, I didn't get a chance to say this in my response, it sort of feels like having kids in some senses, like when it's just you, so like I know for me, when it was just me and my wife, like you have ideas around how you eventually, like you feel like you have ideas about everybody else's kids mm-hmm. and like, oh, they should raise them this way or they, I yeah. can't believe they let someone do this or that, whatever, right? But once you have your own kids, those ideas have to become a lot more concrete really quickly because you're actually having to make those decisions for yourself, right? And so when it comes to like, oh, what kind of movies do we want to watch, let our kids watch or whatever? And obviously like you're, I mean, with Eli, he's... Well, he's going to be two soon, yeah. right? So, yeah. So, like, you know, you're not necessarily in, like, the movie stage yet, but, like, okay, like, am I going to let my kids watch, like, 
you know, just like what type of movies am I, <laughs> yeah. I going to let them watch, right? Yeah. And again, it's like one of those things you have opinions on, but until you become like a parent, you actually establish rules for like, mm. no, this is how we're going to do it because you have to be able to in- enforce them consistently because I've got four kids, right? So yeah. I can't say to one of them, no, we don't do that. And then to the next one, oh yeah, sure. It's fine. No problem. Yeah. You have to like have conventions in place, right? Yeah. And uh, that's what it's like when you have these junior devs. Like when it's just you or a really, really small team, you can be a little bit more loose about it because it's just like, yeah, mm-hmm. we're all kind of on the same page. It's yeah. no big deal. But when you have to be able to start enforcing them consistently without like a bias and being able to say, no, this is just how we do it. And it's not because I don't like you. It's because this is how we do it. You have to have those rules in place or yeah. else it feels like favoritism or you're just being possessive of the code base or mm-hmm. you're being micromanagey about things. So it's just really important that you get these things in place for those reasons. Yeah. So anyway. And like, fortunately for me, I was able to establish those guidelines when I was there by myself. So when we started to bring on people in the team, it was like, there's the style guide. That's how we write code. Yeah. That's everything. <laughs> we didn't have to have, I mean, you know, we have discussions when we bring new people on and we discuss, you know, they say, why do you do it like this? And we have that discussion. Sure. Most of it is fairly conventional in terms of Laravel. So there's not really a whole heap of, changes that get made to it at this point it's like well this is how Laravel does it so this is how we're doing it and you know we've talked about the reasons before it's easier to onboard new devs it's easier to exactly you know, if you need huge, to yeah. outsource some work to someone because you've got a lot of work on you can say look here's the style guide it's it's just vanilla Laravel this is how we do it and these are the the options that we go with then it's much easier to deal with um, and the sooner that you can get consensus on that the, the better the good thing with Laravel is because the framework itself follows PSR2 um, it's easy. PSR to go, twelve you know. now, right? Doesn't it PSR twelve now? I don't know. Or is if it, it is. I don't know if it is PSR twelve yet. Maybe I, it's not. Yeah. But PSR, you know, PSR twelve brought in some stuff to deal with some of the newer features that came into the framework uh, that came into the language rather since PHP. So you know, Laravel has been around since PHP five six or whatever, and and since that time we've had you know type hints and return types and all of that kind of stuff come in. So PSR 12 is kind of filling in the gaps where those things have been added since the PSR 2 spec was or the, the recommendation was put together. So it, it doesn't really matter what you pick. You can choose PSR 2 or PSR 12 or you could come up with your own if you're feeling adventurous. It doesn't matter as long as one, you pick something, two, you stick to it and three, you automate it. And that way you don't have to worry about, you know, seeming like you're nitpicking over someone's code. It's, it's yeah, this is the thing. Now that we're kind of there's more consensus around what that is and and the framework and the and the language and you know Laravel is very mature, then it doesn't really matter. You can just say, look, here's the thing. And if and if you don't want to sit there and be overwhelmed by setting up something like PHP CS Fix or you don't want to figure out what all the rules are, we'll link up in the show notes to to Tlint and to JMAX or the Laravel Shift stuff that basically drop it in and and off it goes. And then you can configure your editors, you know, Vim or Sublime Text or or VS Code or PHP, PHP Storm. Storm. Yeah, just Don't on, PHP on, save. Storm. on save, just do it. So And Spassi's style guide, we'll link that one up too. Yes. Okay, so then, I mean, we could talk specifically about conventions that we use, but like we've both said, basically, it's just the Laravel sort of default ideas. So I don't know if you have any that are interesting that you've kind of established that are maybe outside of the box of that or not. Not really, there's I, nothing. I don't know if this is, yeah. We don't go to the extent of having our cascading three character comments or anything like that. We, we try and avoid comment blocks. I suppose that's a, a, a controversial-ish one. 
is that, you know, Laravel's generators, if you create a controller or you create a test or you create a migration, it, it, it gives you the, the boilerplate stubs and they've got comments and things like that, especially in migrations. First thing I do in a migration is delete the down method. And then the second thing that I do is remove all the doc blocks because they provide no real tangible value inside of the, mm. the, the code base, you know. So the, those are controversial, I guess. I think it's fairly common in the Laravel ecosystem to remove them. I know that, for example, Sparsy, when they have a controller, they don't even extend from the base controller. In fact, I'm pretty sure their skeleton repository does not even have a base controller. So you can bring all those things in and, and compose your controller classes with things like the, the validation trait and, and so on and so forth if you need them, as opposed to just having them there because they're the defaults. Um, and they kind of get, not that, not that I'm against the, the magic of the framework or anything like that, but they can kind of obscure some stuff. It's all documented, of course, but saying I'm explicitly pulling in the validate trait or the, you know, whatever it is in the controller as and when you need it, as opposed to just extending from a base controller that doesn't really do anything other than load in some traits. So, yeah. Yeah, everybody's got little variations of normal on their own stuff, but yeah. In terms of like JavaScript, just while we're talking about code format, in terms of JavaScript, we don't have anything as such. But my thought on that is that I don't really have any thoughts other than using two spaces and letting Prettier take care of the rest. So just install Prettier, configure yeah. it, and let it go and do it. Whatever, whatever the whatever the one is that's very common, the Airbnb, yeah, that'll do. That's fine. I don't. I have no opinions about yeah. JavaScript and CSS. Yeah. I don't write because I use Tailwind. So there you go. We try not to write. We try to use Tailwind as much as we can nowadays. Mm. Uh, speaking of, I just saw Adam a post of Adam Wathens from 2017 Hacker News front page. Yeah. So I saw that literally like 15 minutes ago. So I feel sorry for Adam. Most of the feedback was very much the same. This is just writing inline styles, blah blah blah. You know, people that that didn't even read the article. Yeah. Well, it was also at GitHub Universe. They were showing Tailwind. Yeah. At GitHub Universe just the other day too. So hey, I mean, I mean, the dude's doing something right. I mean, you yeah. look at the follower count. You look at the success that he's had in the last couple of years. The dude's, I mean. They're yeah. onto something there. So yeah. a lot of people are using it. A lot of people love it. So, hey, there's always going to be haters, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So here was a couple other things that I said then. <laughs> Shake it off. So one of the other things that I was looking at is establishing trust. So establish conventions early, yes. Establishing trust is a little bit trickier because it depends on your situation, right? If you have somebody who's kind of outside of your organization, it's not going to be as easy to do this. And I don't know that you necessarily care as much. I mean, you certainly care because they're a human, right? But this kind of more applies if you have somebody who's going to be a long-term team member. And so by established trust, I mean, basically earning their trust, allowing them to know that you care about them as a person and not just as a worker, Mm -hmm. right? I don't know. Like if, if all you care about somebody is just the code that they're putting out, then when you critique their code, it hurts a little bit because yeah. that's the only thing that you care about is their code. And if you're saying your code is bad, then you're saying they're bad almost mm-hmm. in, in, mm-hmm. A certain, in a way, right? But if they know that you care about them as a person, when you critique their code, it hurts a little bit less because they know that you're like, and you don't, it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be like friends necessarily, right? Sometimes as a boss or like as a manager or whatever you want to call it, depending on the structure in your organization, you have to maintain a little bit of distance, right? So that you can critique and you can be the authority when you need to be yeah but there's still definitely a way to do that and still show people that you care about them like showing any personal interest in their life Mm -hmm. uh, or asking them questions about themselves or just generally being a normal kind human person 
So if you take the time to do that and to be just like a good person to people, they're going to be a lot more forgiving when you have to critique their code. Uh, and they're going to take it less personal and they're going to be more willing to listen to your feedback and be less combative, right? Now, it would be great to say that, you know, and, and you see this online, like you aren't your code. What is, I don't even know what that saying is. What I can't remember how that yeah. goes, right? But yeah. like somehow that like this idea that, you know, you're your own person, like your code isn't you. And that's true. But like, it's also like, if you've decided this is what your profession is, and somebody's saying your code is terrible, then they're basically saying you suck at life, like mm. you suck at your <laughs> job. And that hurts, right? Yeah. And so I think it's really, really, really important that you care about people and you care about them well. And when you do that, life's just going to go smoother. And that does apply to every area of kind of like work. But um, I've found specifically with code and when I'm reviewing people's code. Also, too, like just knowing my nuanced, like the way that I speak in my pull requests, it's really hard to convey things in text, yeah. right? In in a way that is in step with like how you actually feel. Yeah. And we've all had this situation where like you get a text message just like, oh my gosh, like what do they mean by that? And it's like, well, they yeah. didn't mean anything by that. It just came across weird, right? Yeah. And so if they know your character, then they know, oh, well, uh, they can assume the best. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he didn't mean anything by that or whatever. Mm -hmm. And kind of going along with this, the other thing that we both sort of suggested on Twitter was try and do side-by-side -side pull request reviews. If you can, especially at first, yeah. right, to establish that rapport and establish that trust. And, and so they can know kind of what your approach is when you're doing this. It's not that you're ripping their code apart. It's that you're saying, I think there actually might be a better way to do this here. And it's a coaching session rather than a critique session, right? Mm -hmm. So you're trying to coach them into doing better. Uh, you're you're trying to help them advance their career. And I think that doing those side-by-sides also gives you as the pull request reviewer an insight into their brain, right? So just like it's hard for them to interpret mm -hmm. your text comments on a pull request, it's also very difficult to discover intent of someone's code if they're not there to explain it for you. So I might look at a piece of code and be like, that makes zero sense. Like, that makes no sense at all. I don't understand why you would do that. And it's it's tempting sometimes to be like, we don't do this here. Like, this caching this is going to cause all sorts of problems everywhere else. Like this is completely unnecessary. Don't do this. Yeah. Right. This happened to me just the other day. I was like, I actually put this, my first thought was like, that's completely unnecessary. We should not be doing that cash there. Like that's cash is one of those things that can always come back mm -hmm. to bite you later. Right. And I'm like, you're cashing for five minutes. Why would you do that? So I put in there, I was like, I don't see any spot where this is adding value. I said, please help me see if I'm missing this. Let me know. Right. Mm -hmm. And he came back and said, yeah, actually, yeah. we this triggers once an hour when we do a refresh and we have to hit this query method like 100 times. And it's always going to be the exact same value. If we just cache it for five minutes, it speeds up the import like by 10 times. I'm like, perfect. But, you know, if you're sitting right mm -hmm. next to them, he would have been able to tell me that really simply, right? I've been working with him long yeah. enough to know there's likely a reason he did this. And I'm going to go ahead and ask him about it rather than assume that he did this poorly. So I guess those are two things that were on my mind, like establishing trust and then trying to do side by sides as well, if you can, uh, especially at the beginning, but also yeah. as, as as code complexity grows and as you have larger pull requests, uh, when the file count goes kind of like above like 25, <laughs> it's helpful uh, because they kind of have the whole thing in their brain and you're just kind of getting introduced to the code base. Yeah, yeah. I think just on that, 
it's I find it useful and fairly disarming rather than saying we don't do this or this is wrong or do it like this to actually phrase it as a question. Why did you do it like this? Why didn't you do it like that? Have you considered um, doing this? Here's an article, something. Yeah. In in that way, it kind of gets you to the root of why it was done that way without, you know, and look, I like to think, we all like to think we know better than everyone else. But once you get removed from writing code regularly, and I don't know about you, but I don't write as much code as I used to. And so I I, I got to write some code the other day and it was glorious. I spent like three hours. I put in something that was incredibly useful. It's just because you see these questions come up in Slack and it's the same thing over and over again. And over and over and over. And eventually it's like, well, I've got a bit of time now. So I'm just going to go and build something that's going to address this. And it's just these little things. Like it was a one page. It took me a couple of hours to knock it out. And it just provides so much value as opposed to, you know, when, when people ask for things to be built, they're asking for something because they may perceive there to be a pain point or they think that it's going to fix some issue. But if you just sit and you observe the business, over a period of time, the things that they get asked over and over again are the kind of things that are probably going to provide the most value because once it gets ingrained into people's minds that the process is to ask someone to do this and then they can do that, well, that puts a huge burden on that person to go and do that thing that takes them out of the flow of what they're doing. That only takes 30 seconds, mm-hmm. but as you know, as we all know as developers, 30 seconds is is the difference between finishing something and oh, getting more, sidetracked yeah, for 10 or minutes. Or a half hour, yeah. Or more. So, you know, being observant is um, is very useful. So, so the, yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know where that, no, no, no. that tangent That's... came from. So I will get, <laughs> I'll get back on track. But um, yeah, That's yeah oh, phrasing yeah. questions. Yeah. So just, just asking why something is being done or why it's being done this way or why it's not being done that way is it, 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 it makes it, the interaction more engaging with the person on the other side of the on the other side of the screen and it makes them want to say you know this is why i've done it this way and they think about it a bit more and they might you know as you said they might decide oh actually we don't need to do it this way or or we could do it some other way or this is why we need to do it this way rather than being told that they're wrong because no yeah. one likes to be told that they're wrong yep it, it and this is another one of those things where the, this is why this is so hard because there are definitely times. So what I've had to learn is that because for, for a long time, probably up until maybe just a couple of months ago, everything I asked or everything that was a comment was a question. Everything like because I was mm-hmm. trying to be disarming about it. Right. Sometimes it's not helpful. And actually, sometimes I don't know if it's the word pandering. Right. Let me see here. I think the word I'm looking for is it's not pandering. I can't remember. What I'm trying to do is like, if I ask you a question to lead you to an answer that I already think I know, it can be disrespectful. Yeah. And my wife hates it yeah. when I do this. Hates it. So like, if we're having a discussion <laughs> and I ask her a question, she'll be like, if you're trying to tell, just tell me. Don't don't ask me a question to have me answer you something that you want me to answer. Like, if you want to say something, just say it. Like, and she's not that rude about it. Sorry, that made me sound like, that made it sound like she was... <laughs> Yeah. But you get what I'm saying, right? So like when you when you are when you're asking yeah, yeah, yeah. leading questions, it's actually not 
necessarily respectful. So it's like, it is positive to ask questions when you actually have a question. So when you don't understand or you think you might be missing something, it's definitely appropriate to ask a question. If you want something done a different way and as the lead, it is your, you, you have permission to do that, right? You have the authority or the ability to say, that's okay. That's a fine way to do it. But I'm actually going to ask you to do it this yeah. way because I would prefer it to be done this way. And I think it's going to be better code. Don't ask a question because you're going to muddy up the communication. They're going to think that you mean why are you doing this way and explain it instead of saying, I want you to do it a different way. Because then you're going to have to come, come back a second time after they've already taken yeah. the time to explain their thought process. And now you're going to have to say, not only do I want it done differently, but your thought processes is correct. Like, and that hurts even worse. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really difficult. And and that's why I'm saying like a lot of these things are things you just do learn over time. Like, so you have to be clear about your communication, ask questions when you want, when you want an answer, if you're not looking for an answer, like, and you just know you want it done differently, you have to just say that. And you have to, at some point be willing to, that's all. Again, you have to establish this trust because you, you, you have like, uh, Jocko Willink would call it like you have this amount of leadership capital that you can expend, but you only have so much of it. So use it when it's important. Like things that are small, don't bother with, which is why you don't want to use the, you don't want to use a yeah. leadership capital on those nitpicky things. Those have to be automated because otherwise by the time yeah. they get to the, by the, by the time you get to that big ask of like, Hey, I know you spent an hour doing it this way already, but I actually want you to do it this other way. They're so fed up with all the changes you've already asked for that. Yeah. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. And then what in yeah. their mind it becomes is he's micromanaging yeah. me. And that's not a good place to be because then they get bitter about the changes that you're asking for. So yeah. you want to try and keep that. And, and so and only you'll know the people on your team. Hopefully, you know, you have a good enough relationship yeah. with them. And, and, you know, obviously, if over time, the people that you're asking to make changes are constantly moaning about those things that you're asking them. I mean, maybe they're just not a good fit for the team. And that's possible, certainly. Yeah. But yeah, those are little mm-hmm. things to consider, too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think part of that is, is you know, establishing right at the start what what is acceptable and what isn't. So when when our most recent high came on, which was you know, a year ago now, initially we sat down and we did the code reviews together and, you know, we, we went through things and, and, you know, just the, the general Laravel things don't use for each loops or for loops, use collections mm. wherever possible, wherever it makes sense. Don't use temporary variables, all that kind of stuff. Get that out of the way early and then yeah, you can go from there. And, but with bringing new people into a code base, especially our monolithic legacy sheet of ice, I'm saying it's old and crusty. <laughs> bringing bringing people into a code base and sitting down with them initially so that they understand the implications of their changes as well, especially for a junior or a new person in the team. They may change something in one place and not understand the impact that has elsewhere. So having those discussions face to face or side by side or using, you know, tuple or whatever, you know, to do to do pair programming basically through those requests is really important. And then over time as you start seeing less and less that needs to change, then, you know, you can start, you, you give them that, you know, they've earned that trust. You don't give it to them. They've earned that trust through the, the review process that, that you've gone through together. And then, you know, later on you can be more, um, I, I get to the point now where I get so many merge requests that I just glaze over some of them. Oh my gosh. Probably to my detriment because sometimes that ends poorly, but yeah, we move fairly quickly and it doesn't, have a huge, you know, nothing's, nothing seriously broken. It's just like, you might've missed a typo or you might've missed something. So 
I don't I don't know how to do that. That's just like merge request. Yeah, fatigue, totally. I guess I, I hear you, dude. But I I have one thing that I have a question for you is how do you deal with like big new features that are like you know dozens of new files or you know four or five controllers and six or seven whatever different view components and views and whatever else like sometimes these things get pretty big and I'm just thinking of a a project that we've got on the go at the moment to do ticket management or fault management for, for customer services there's there's a whole like Q&A thing about troubleshooting steps and that goes into a review process for someone to then be assigned to then manage that fault and then to liaise with the customer and liaise with the third-party providers and things like that this is going to be huge right how how do you go about the big features because small bug fixes you know i'd love to keep merge requests as small as possible and i wonder if there's some way that we could build new features behind you know feature flags or building in partial things and say like let's get this bit done and let's just merge it let's get it in there and then like then the next thing let's do a little bit at a time chip away at it but at the same time you know hide it away i think feature flagging it is probably the the best way of doing it just to to keep the merge requests small which means that you can spend more time on it to review it more thoroughly rather than going oh you know, there's like 30 different files here. And really, I don't don't want to be the person that has to sit there and go through it because line by yeah. line, you just glaze over. So what I tend to do is I pull down the branch, I, you know, deploy or open it in Valet um, and, and go through everything and then make sure that it, that it behaves itself. But you don't see the edge cases and it's balancing like functionally it works versus technically it works versus there's no typos typos and that you're you're testing all the edge cases and things like that it just gets out of hand for for big features no that's oh my gosh so number one before i get so i want to say a couple things number one there's so much to unpack there i mean what you just discussed is like a whole other episode (laughs) so I actually, I would like to slate that for another, for our next episode, maybe like, how do we handle new large features? And maybe we could think through this a little bit and and I could maybe give a little bit better answer. I, I will buzz through some of the things that we do uh, as well. But I want to say before you, before I say that, uh, I saw a GIF on Twitter today and it was like me reviewing pull requests that it was. And there was like all these people walking into the theater and, you know, they pat your arms down and then pat you pat your sides down. And the guy was just going like this, like not even touching them. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I saw that. <laughs> so funny. It's like, yeah, approve. Let's see if I can find approve, it again. Approve, merge, approve, merge, approve. Like, it's uh-huh. like, you're just not even looking. Yeah. Now, yeah. I will say, like, I don't, I don't typically do that where it's like approve, merge. This gets to my last point I wanted to make, though. So, if you don't mind, what I'd what I'd like to possibly do is say like let's let's see what we can do about the large features, but there's a lot to unpack there. So I wanted to talk about one more thing real quick, just about the juniors and and other PR stuff. Okay, so yeah, so typically I really try to dig into pull requests and really try and do a thorough job because it, just like with your company, we're not working for clients; we are working for us. So it is us that are going mm-hmm. to be maintaining this application ten years down the road. And so I know for a fact, if I don't do my due diligence and making sure this code works and is some code I want to work with in the future, that I am only hurting myself, right? Now, the problem is there's time constraints mm-hmm. and you know I'm a perfectionist of sorts uh, at times. So it's very difficult for me to kind of let it go and just kind of merge it sometimes if it's good enough. 
but I really do try and do a, a good job with that. It's it's really hard though because then you end up with like 15 open pull requests that you're s- sitting there waiting for, right? Uh, and it's just it, it takes forever. So mm-hmm. the ones that I do glaze over on though and just push are are ones that speak to this last point that I wanted to make about juniors, which is allow for freedom and ownership. So establish trust, establish conventions, but also allow for freedom and ownership. So what I've found is helpful is to allow them kind of like make a little sandbox for them over in the corner, if you will, and maybe find this low risk piece of code that if it breaks, it's not the end, it's not the end of the world. And if it gets fixed today, tomorrow, like it's going to be fine. It's not costing the company money necessarily, but like find them that thing that they can mm-hmm. own and that is theirs and then allow them to mess it up. And when I say that, what I mean is yeah. let them make their own mistakes. There are some lessons that you just cannot learn without having made the mess yourself and then had to go clean it up. There yeah. are certain things, patterns and whatever that are hard fought lessons that just come with time. And as a senior developer, it is too, like there are some projects that is just not big enough of a risk that it's worth my time to actually go in there and say, okay, because sometimes you just almost have to be the one to write it. You know what I mean? Like they don't understand yet why that's a problem. And I actually don't have the time to go write it. And the code is good enough to ship. Mm -hmm. It's going to work today. But when it breaks, guess who's fixing that code? Not me. They are, right? So it's low risk, allow them to make their own problems and solve those problems. And again, it's it's an investment thing. It's a balance for sure. You don't want them to be spending all their time fixing broken crap that they've built. But at the same time, it's okay to let them explore a little bit, try their own stuff. And again, this is it's also going to really give them more enjoyment about their job if they feel like they have some that is theirs. Anytime there's a new feature for that thing, they're the one working on it. Anytime something's broken, they're the one working on mm-hmm. it. It's their little piece of the world. They have ownership of it. It's their baby, right? So uh, kind of along with that, make sure they're writing good documentation so that when, you know, you know, and, and also uh, every once in a while, it's a good idea to have somebody else work on that code too, so that there's more than one, just, just one person familiar with it. And you should be following those conventions. So it's not crazy out there, yeah. but but I, I feel like there's a lot of value in that. And so when those pull requests come in, typically I will glance over, make sure the feature actually works, approve, merge, done. And so mm-hmm. that's helpful too, because I know that I don't have to go super crazy detail on those ones. That's their little piece. I'm going to look over it, approve, merge, and then it's done. So I've found that to be helpful as well. Yeah. So there's that. Excellent. What do you think? Excellent. Do we want to get into handling large, large new features? Well, we're at 45 minutes, so maybe we can come back and do this again it's in It's super exciting to talk weeks. about. Yeah. I mean, like can, there are so many interesting things that you brought yeah. up. Like, I just mm. feel like we could break that. Nothing but disasters. I just, I'm, I'm just thinking about this project. Yeah. So tell me what's going on. Tell me what's going on in your current situation. Yeah. Like what's the one you're working on right well, now? It's nothing. Like it's, it's just a new feature and, and the stuff that we're doing now that we've got an extra head we're we're going back over things that we haven't really been able to do over the last couple of years because it's just been like patchwork and fixing things and getting things to a a baseline level right so now we're starting to work on things that we need as a business to grow and because we're doing that we're bringing in 
bigger features, more robust functionality. And it's and it's not just a controller and a couple of views. It's multiple controllers and multiple views. And there's a whole bunch of validation. And there's complex view components that are driving the UI. And there's, you know, we're we're building like a it's I built this once before at my last internet provider job. And it's basically like a survey monkey. You know, what type of fault are you lodging? Okay, you've done this. Here are the diagnostic tests that we have to run. Um, in order to log the, the fault with our provider, here are the, the steps that you need to go. You know, have you tried turning it off again? Have you done this test with a cable plugged in instead of over Wi-Fi? Have you all of these things that have to be done before we can log a fault? And making it like a hand-holding process means that you may never even need to log yeah. the fault. You go, to, you get to step get five, and you go, yeah. oh, "There's the problem." So we can say, "Okay, that's that's resolved." But it's just, it's there's no like small piece of it. Even the smallest piece is going to be a big piece and it's going to be a lot to review. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I like the idea of of feature flagging it so that we can we can we can do a small piece. We can go, right, here's the default lodgement page, and we make sure all of that works, and then we merge that in. And then we say, okay, this is in here, but there's no UI to it, there's no way to get to it. If you happen to guess the URL, we'll just, you know, 403 it or whatever. Um, or yeah, 403. Um, you're not allowed to get here. It doesn't exist, whatever. And that's fine. I think, I think that's the best way of tackling it, but I don't know, but I, I, I need something that's going to keep me sane. Do you, do you have a need to push it into production before it's all ready no, to go? But you know, once it's merged, it'll get deployed at some point. Right. And I don't, I don't want to have yeah. branches sitting there because it's happened to us with a few things where we built some functionality and then we've got held up by something else or we've had to work on something else. And then before you know it, and I'm not happy about it, but before you know it, there's a merge request that's been sitting there for nine months. Now, nine months means we've gone from Laravel 5.7 to 5.8 to 6, right? So we've jumped. <laughs> Bro, I just want I just want to give yeah. you some uh, just some help here. Like you are not alone. Like I have a couple yeah. branches that have been sitting out there for like an eternity. And it's like one of those things where it's like, it was a good idea, but it was like kind of an optional thing at the time. Like I've spent a day or two on it maybe. And it was like, yeah. Mm, mm, but now maybe, it's like, well, nine months know? later, we've got yeah. all of this stuff. We've got to merge all this stuff now. It's discrete Useless. enough functionality. Yeah. You may have some merge conflicts. You can fix it. But at the end of the day, if it's going to take us six or eight or 12 weeks to build this functionality, there's a lot of stuff that is still going to happen in the meantime. And whilst it's all new, and I'm not worried so much about merge conflicts, I am worried about the size of that feature when it comes time to review yeah. it. And like, and the problem with reviewing it as you go is that you'll review it, changes will get made, they'll get approved, we'll move on to the next thing, and everything starts to mingle together. And then you start going back to review the next piece, and it's like, I can no longer tell where the code that I've already reviewed is and where the code that is new is that I need to yep. review now within that context. And so what ends up happening is you just yeah. review the whole lot again and it just gets big. It's a snowball. So maybe if Matt listens to this or maybe yeah. we'll take a snippet and post it on Twitter and then tag him and say, Matt, I'm sure this is something that you've covered before. Please help. Because, you know, I'd, yeah, I've been doing this for a while, but even still, there are not necessarily good solutions. And, you know, you know this, I'm pretty sure. We we both kind of fell up into this role in terms of like becoming a senior and managing people and and whatever yeah. else. And so 
we may not necessarily have had that gradual build up to, to doing it from like just writing all the code and building all the features and shipping everything to, well, now we have to take a second and we have to think, well, I'm not the one that's going to be maintaining this. Someone else has to maintain it. Someone else may come in and take this over. This person may have to revisit that or they may be unavailable to look at that later. So, you know, it adds to that overall maintenance burden of the application. And so making sure that it's like properly vetted and properly reviewed and properly or, or nicely implemented gets a lot, lot harder while you're doing other things like managing, for example, managing server migrations and managing moving a whole bunch of architecture to a whole new platform. I'm not saying you're doing that. I'm saying I'm doing that right now. And so yeah. there's like a whole lot of stuff going on yeah. where I'm trying to facilitate and plan for that in the next two to three weeks, but also trying to keep up with all of these merge requests. So yeah, you have another team yeah. that you have to keep busy. Yeah. You have to keep them going. Yeah. Okay. So I'll just say like, um, one thing that we've done, uh, is we'll put a feature branch out there. So we'll take and, and, you know, go off master and make a feature branch and then we'll, and it's not typically what I'll probably end up doing is I'll say, okay, why don't you build this thing, this piece of the feature first, and then we'll review that code until we get to a point where we're saying, yes, we're happy with that. And then we merge that to that feature branch. And then you work off the next thing so that those mm -hmm. merge requests stay relatively small. I would say like, if you can do them and every couple of every, like if you can like say, hey, here's a feature that you can work on for this feature branch, like a piece of the feature that you can work on for a couple of days or whatever. And then that'll keep it small enough where you're going to be, you know, 30 files, maybe something like that. And um, then you can kind of merge that in and you say, you've basically put your stamp of approval on that piece saying, yep, I'm happy with that. So eventually what ends up happening is by the time it's time to merge that feature branch in, you don't even have to review that thing. That thing has all been yeah. reviewed already. So then you just push the button to merge it all in at the same time. So that's that's been one thing that's been helpful to us because otherwise you do, you end up with these mm -hmm. massive like 200 change files and it's just impossible. Uh, one of the things that's been really helpful in GitHub over the last couple of months is that viewed button that you can click on the actual i know you guys use gitlab internally i think yeah right? yeah so in github it, that's been really helpful so like if i do have a large pull request so like just yesterday uh no fri friday sorry no yeah that was yesterday <laughs> oh my gosh the days are blurring Ooh. i had a 98 98 file pull request and yeah and so i had reviewed it like five times like but the good thing mm -hmm. was the first time I went to review, it was brutal because I had to go through everything. But then I click, mm -hmm. like I make my comment, click viewed, make my comment, click viewed. So I get down to the bottom and I finally like, okay, I got through it. Well, then the subsequent reviews were much faster because it just goes and it says, this file has changed since the last time you viewed it, right? So I can go see any resolved conversations that we had and like, okay, I can buzz through that, make any additional changes. Okay, here's my additional crusted changes. Now, the third time I'm going through it, it's like three files that I need to look at. So click, 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 done, re review, approve, merge. So that's been really helpful as well because if, that, if I didn't have that, man, mm -hmm. I remember those days where like I didn't have that viewed button and it was brutal because you never knew unless you went through, yeah. unless you just went through their commits. Yeah. Right? Unless you went through the three commits or the five commits that they added since the last time yeah. reviewed. But even at that, that's like it's hard to get a coherent picture of like exactly. And you have to make sure they're doing atomic commits. And basically, so then each commit is like a tiny little it's feature. It's harder when every single commit. Not everybody with, with, does with. that. So we don't know. Oh, and I don't we don't do that anymore. Like so Will Wilbur Powery uh is one of our developers and and of course he's like very in touch mm -hmm. and in tune with the Laravel community, right? And so I don't know. David Hemphill. We love mm -hmm. you, David. Like Whip is great and it's funny and it's, it's sort of like a anti-establishment sort of yeah. 
yeah. joke deal halfway serious i think but yeah if yeah. you're ever like reviewing stuff whip doesn't work like you can't do that like yeah. it doesn't just doesn't it's not helpful at all so i actually so wilbur was doing that for a while whip 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 and i was like hey if you're actually doing work in progress something like if you're totally like if you're in the middle of something and you had to switch branches because yeah. something came up and you had to fix it totally just type whip and say like finishing this feature no problem like i do that but if like if you actually know yeah. what you're yeah. committing yeah don't put whip like actually give me a commit message because that way i actually know what's happening and it's going to be a lot more helpful um i mean I, I try and avoid it i'll try and write at least some progress of where i got up to in the commit message because that leaves me somewhere to come back to it makes it clearer in the commit history and whip is fine exactly. if you're going to go back and rebase and actually update the commits once you know what's in them but yeah I, I try and use it sparingly, especially at work. In in my own stuff, I'll I'll whip whip whip. That's that's fine. I'll whip and then I'll nay nay, etc. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a nay nay? You should totally have a nay nay that does a rebase <laughs> of all the all the commits that are whip until it hits a, a commit that actually has a message other than whip. That would be freaking hilarious. So you have like you have a command that says whip, and it basically says yeah. get add dot right or get add dash a or whatever and then get c you know get commit dash m whip and then like you should have a, you should have a command for that and then you should add nene and it does go grab yeah. all of the commit messages that have whip until you hit something it doesn't have commit and do a what rebase that, to implement? that would think. be awesome you should do that yeah no it wouldn't you should do that and share that on twitter is as a someone's gonna do it thing. before whip i get around That's, to it <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so funny though. That would be great. Okay, so I think here's what I think we should talk about mm -hmm. large features, handling large features on our next show. But I think just as a really small version of like, you know, little, little help is I think breaking it out into a feature branch and then having, having, you know, mini sprints, mm -hmm. if you will, that contribute to that feature branch and getting those merged and closed as quickly as possible is is really helpful for me for when we've been doing those sort of large features yeah, yeah. it's i guess it's kind of like the the git flow then where you, where you're saying the the feature branch but the feature branch would be what would be the totally branch yes in the, the git flow yeah yeah that makes sense to me yes yeah well even in git flow even in git flow you have master you have dev and then you do have feature branches that sit outside of the dev mm. branch the dev branch is almost like mm. the qa branch like or staging branch you know what i mean like so it's kind of like where things get merged before you do like a release to production or to master. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like it's it's sort of Git flow ish. Yeah. So we don't have a dev branch anymore. We had a dev branch for a long time, but it yeah. just would end up going like merge the dev, merge to master. And we we're like, yeah, stop doing that. So now we have master. Every now and then. We have master yeah. feature branches. Every now and then, then we so. will have a mainline or two, two mainline. Like we'll have master, which is what's in production, but then we'll have like a next, which is this is what's going to go into production yeah, yeah. later. It It's very rare that we would do that. You know, we did that when we were preparing to go to Laravel and then we did that when we were preparing to go to PHP 7. So, you know, it's not not something often because, you know, we need to keep developing stuff for production, but not necessarily releasing yeah. it. So, oh, sorry, we need to keep doing stuff for master and releasing it whilst we're preparing for the next big thing, which is, you know, was first it was Laravel and then it was... Um, PHP 7. Yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Cool. Anyway, I think that's a good spot nice. to wrap up. All right. This is episode 66. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked the show, please feel free to share it with your friends 
or rate us up in your podcatcher of choice. You can also catch us on YouTube. If you didn't know that, Michael shares each one of these episodes. We use Restream to push these out to YouTubes and to Twitter. If you ever happen to catch us live, uh, feel free to ask some questions in the chat. We'd love to see you in there. Of course, if you have any Mm. questions, you can hit us up on Twitter at Michael Derrida, at Jacob Bennett, or at North South Audio. Show notes for this episode would be at northmeetsouth.audio slash 66. And we also want to take a moment to thank our lovely, lovely sponsors, who is on the list for this week, my friend? It is makeable.dk. And it always trips me up when I go to their website to do this bit because their website is not in English. That's correct. It is not. I love their website, by the way. So it's let me read nice. through it's very the, slick. Me, it is. And they have a great video as well. Is that the one? That's the one I'm thinking about? Makeable. Is M-A-K-E. Rasmus? Yeah. Yeah. Rasmus. Rasmus, Rasmus Nielsen. Nielsen. Yeah. So uh, I'm just run through this real quick. Andres, uh, Andreas Hubenthal, JP Davey, JP Davey, you're the man. We love you. Joe Lennon, Rasmus C. Nielsen, and CT Asumo uh, are all of our sponsors. But Makeable.dk, which is Rasmus C. Nielsen, the company that he works for, uh, is the mm-hmm. sponsor this week. So why don't you uh, read us out a quick, a quick sponsor read? You're always so good at those. So yeah, Makeable is a smallish team of about 60 people located in Aarhus, Denmark. They build web and mobile applications for clients, primarily using the latest versions of Laravel and Vue.js for the website of things. They do also frequently produce open source packages. They have about 20 last last time we had, so I'm sure they've got more by now, uh, packages of their own. Some are not necessarily documented, but again, I'm sure they've done that by now. (laughs) And also contribute to other projects, most recently triggering a major rewrite of Sparsi's Laravel backup package. They've been at Laracon for the last three, four years. Um, I think you caught up with Rasmus. I did. Did you? In, and with Lars, year? Lars Dahl, and yeah, Lars, who is one of the nice. partners. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, they're located in Denmark. They're occasionally on the hunt for new Laravel developers, primarily on site, but they do also have remote freelancers. If you're interested in working with them, you can definitely reach out to them. As I said at the top, they're at Makeable M A K E A B L E dot D K. Thanks to Rasmus and the crew for sponsoring the show. And thank you to everyone who decided to spend some time and hang out with us. Really appreciate it. And we will see you again in two weeks for our episode talking about how we handle building large features. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. See you.